<laughs> Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, a meeting after the meeting where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live and lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. I'm Don. Hey, Don. Hey, y'all. I'm Sam. Sam. Don, how the hell are you? I'm here to tell you I want you to know that at the end of the day, it goes without saying. And thank you for joining us for this episode of The Boiled Out. <laughs> Don, what the hell, man? What am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> but my mother used to say, I want you to know. She used to use all those expressions all the time. <laughs> she didn't do at the end of the day. That's a, that's come in kind of recently, but it goes without saying. Yeah, but it goes without saying. I mean, but having said that, I will say this: <laughs> this that whole comedic career that you're planning. No. Just, well, no. I'd say that that's stop a lot. Done. A lot stop. about stop to do stop. about stop. nothing. Stop done. <laughs> Maybe we should get to our guest who might have something to say. Oh my God, say. yes, please. Hi, who are you? Please well, save us. Well, that being said, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm Doug. I'm just so darn happy to be here. Doug, <laughs> thanks for joining us. I'm but that goes without saying, it goes, right? It goes without saying, but I said it. Anyway, <laughs> I may say Are you going to stand by it? I stand by it. Oh, I stand by it. I'll sit here and sit by it. There you go. That's <laughs> great. This isn't your first time at this rodeo. You, you've done sound for us before. I have. Man. I was on the other side of that board. Yeah. Yep. And doing everything you could not to chime in, I'm sure. It was probably the most difficult hour of my entire life. <laughs> I got well, to speak at the end. Now it's all about uh, you. Yeah, this not is, really. Yeah, I know. This is all about <laughs> it was, That felt good for a minute, though. <laughs> when did you get sober? Oh, uh, this morning at uh, whatever time I woke up. Oh, uh, one April, day at a time. April 30th. Oh, those I'm a one day at a timer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. April 30th, uh, 2006. That's consistent with what he told me earlier. It's true. He's telling It's, it's been documented by the authorities. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, and where was that? Where did you get some? That was right here in Greensboro, North Carolina. Ah. What brought you to AA? Had you heard of it before, or did you... How did you end up coming to AA? All right, so I'd heard of it before, but I think I had a, a huge misunderstanding about anything to do with it because it was just whatever I heard was from TV and movies and, um, it, you know, it, it gets uh, underrepresented or misrepresented that way uh, for simplicity's sake, you know, for nobody's fault, I guess, for not understanding it. Uh, I got here um, pretty much by accident. Uh, it was not really a decision that I had made to say, oh, I need to get sober, I need to go to AA. The, the circumstances that brought me to an outpatient treatment center um, brought me to one that was very much about the 12 steps. And part of that uh, uh, treatment center's program was, I think it was on Friday, that you would go to an AA meeting. They wouldn't physically take you there, but it was, okay, we're going to meet for an hour and then go to... I think it was one or two <clears throat> specifically that you were supposed to go to. Uh, and I didn't really know anything like 
I, to be honest with you, I didn't really know I was in a treatment center for the first couple of weeks that I was there. That's how screwed up that I was. I really didn't know what was going on. Uh, and then going to this AA meeting and having, and they didn't say that beforehand. I was there on the Friday and they were like, okay, now go to this meeting. And I show up at the AA meeting and I was like, oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I kind of, I stumbled into it. It was not a, a what, decision. What were you in for? So I was in for, you want the, you want the long version of the story? You want the medium version of the story? What's just a short version. What were yeah. you said? You didn't even know where you right. were. So right, right. Was, was it a bunch of drugs involved with it as well as alcohol? No, at the time, out? no, at the time uh, it wasn't. Um, and it wasn't that I was in a blackout when I showed up, but I had certainly been previously. Um, I, um, it, it, you know, it, it's kind of hard to tell the story succinctly, but I'm going to try. So I was arrested prior to showing up at this treatment center, but that arrest didn't necessarily make me decide that this is it. I've hit my bottom. It was just so happened that the week prior to the arrest, I had made this appointment at this outpatient treatment center so I could go and take the quiz uh, that was being required from the state of New Jersey where I lost my license back in the 80s. Uh, so I was trying to get my license renewed here in North Carolina. They, the computers all got hooked up in the 20 years since I had been here. And they were like, you have this suspension in New Jersey you need to take care of. And it was because of the DWI in the 80s. Uh -huh. New Jersey said you were required to go to a class, take a class uh, for eight hours, 16 hours or something, and get somebody to fill out a piece of paper and say, okay, cool, you're, you're, you can get your license back. Well, I had made that appointment randomly. I called two or three different places. This one place made an appointment for me the following week. And in between making the appointment and showing up, I got arrested in a blackout for committing a felony, essentially. How the hell did that happen? How in the hell? That's what I said when I walked in the treatment center. How is a nice, well-meaning guy like me? Yeah. a place like this. And the guy went, huh. Um, but yeah, and so I, I you know, it, it was... In retrospect, it was one of those things that I look at, you know, the universe, the grace of God, however you want to say it, was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. It, it brought me to mm -hmm. the rooms of AA. It brought me to the 12 steps. Um, it, was, it was not a decision that I made. And those first few times that I went to the AA meeting with that group, I certainly didn't pick up a white chip. I didn't stand up and say, I'm an alcoholic. It was a speaker meeting, so you didn't have to say it. Mm -hmm. But after a couple of times and after a couple of weeks of being in this treatment center, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am an alcoholic. What do you know? So, uh, yeah. It was, you it was, saw yourself in it. Oh, yeah. From the first night. I mean, the very first speaker that I saw, I mean, he was, you know, the, the names and the dates were different, but the story and the feelings and all that were the same. I mean, he, he used terms that that I was able to identify with not having ever really heard them before, like egomaniac with an inferiority complex. I was like, oh, that's what that feeling is. Uh, and so I just heard mm -hmm. stuff like that in the very first meeting. And I was like, yeah, these are That happened people. to me with that expression. And also just uh, uh, somebody mm -hmm. described the phenomenon of craving, which is talked about in the big book. Right. And th when they described that, I was like, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. so I, I want to be clear, though, that sure. when you made this appointment with the treatment center to get this quiz thing, yeah. the class and all that, you didn't want to quit drinking. Um, the, the weeks and months leading up to that, my life had really started to, can I swear on this podcast? Fuck yeah. Oh, fuck good. Um, it, it, the shit really started hitting the fan, like not just in my life, like I was separated and things at work were screwed up, but like emotionally and, and spiritually, even though I probably wouldn't have labeled it as such at the time, I, I was hitting my bottom. Um, I was not looking to quit drinking. I had made actually a couple of appointments prior to this through the employee assistance program. 
and I wouldn't show up to those appointments. But I knew like I needed help, but I didn't want to help. Um, I had started to get an inkling through journaling and that kind of thing that alcohol may have had something to do with it. And I had tried to quit drinking for the first time in my life in 25, six, seven years, I tried to quit drinking and I lasted for uh, four and a half, five days. And then I was trying to control it. So I was in that stage that they talk about in the big book, you know, where we can't control it and we can't not drink and we can't drink. And that's where I was, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And not once, I don't think, I don't recall ever going, oh, I need to go to AA. And then you went to this meeting and, and you started hearing people yeah. saying things that you could relate to. Yeah. And did that kind of almost instantly like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. Yeah, there was there was certainly um, there was certainly an, an immediate identification, uh, and there was also an immediate sense of relief uh, combined with terror, with absolute terror, um, because my personality from you know I started drinking when I was 14, 15 years old. You know, nothing unique that we hear in these rooms, but but I started drinking alcoholically right from the beginning, and my I, I felt like so much of my personality, at least my external personality, my social personality, was, was always around drinking and drugging. Whether it was making friends or maintaining work relationships or whatever, there was always booze and or drugs that were involved in it. So to take that out of the equation was terrifying. But the relief factor came from now I don't have to worry about being found out anymore. Like there was all of this, you know, because I had spent so much time like looking over my shoulder, waiting to get found out, quote unquote, and, and found out about what? Yeah, there were specific things probably, but also just who I was. You know, I was afraid for you to know who I was as a human being. Uh, and then like having, you know, been caught with this felony and all of a sudden admitting I'm an alcoholic and, and, and being in this place where I was getting help everything was just sort of laid bare and there was a relief to it. But like I said, it was combined with this fear because I, I didn't have the tools yet to realize that, you know, I can turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him, et cetera, et cetera. It was, oh crap, what do I do now? You know? Yeah. And that's like, who, who will I be? Who, who, who will, will I be? be? Who will <laughs> I be? And, you know, I think, um, you know, a lot of my, my thought process at the time probably was guided by hearing things like that in meetings. I don't know if I would have, I don't know if I got to the point where I was like, oh my God, who am, who am I going to be? I may have come to that eventually as the, as the cognitive process started to redevelop and you start thinking about the future, but it was really more about like, what am I now? I got to show up to work. You know, I didn't lose my job mm -hmm. and I still had this, this place of responsibility and I still had this. Uh, this society of people around me and, and, you know, we were drinking and it was part of work and it was all this kind of stuff. It was life. It's like, what, what do I do now? It wasn't, what, what am I going to wind up being? It's yeah. what do I do tomorrow? You know? yeah. how, do I, how do I deal with this? I don't know why, but like the, the needle scratching across the record is what just yeah. occurred to me as you were saying that it's like, I've had this moment in my life and, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, what the hell do I do now? Yeah, and, and, and there was, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I can, I, I, I'll never forget the feelings. I mean, really, honestly, I will never forget those feelings. And I'm, I'm kind of getting choked up talking about it, you know, because it, is, it was such an emotional time. And I'm not, I never, I never knew how to express emotions before. I mean, that's, again, that's something we hear a lot about a lot of people. But I was, you know, not brought up like that. And to experience, like, all of that emotion and all of these conflicting emotions at the same time, it's such, it's palpable to me still to this day. Yeah. Um, which is, I think why I've never picked up a drink since that day, uh, because I know I never want to relive that. <laughs> I don't want to go through that again. 
You know, it was, it's a very real, you know, people say, oh, you know, we forget what it feels like. And I've heard that over and over in the rooms. And that's why I keep doing what I do is because I don't ever want to forget what that feels like. Um, there was, there was, like I said, there was relief and there was hope, but more, and more often than not, it was, well, it's crash and burn yeah. at the beginning. I mean, if you're really going to hit bottom and uh, that's the way it was for me, it was, uh, it, it was crash and burn. I felt I was, I was completely raw at the, at the beginning like that. And just talking about anything, I burst into tears yeah. and it was terrifying. Yeah. I remember somebody saying in my First week, they introduced themselves and said, I'm still Randy, and I'm an alcoholic. Right. Or I'm an alcoholic, I'm, I'm still, still Randy. Randy. Right, 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 yeah. right, yeah. And I took it to mean that I could take it personally, like, even though I'm an alcoholic, I'm still Don. Even though I'm not drinking, I'm still Don. Right. And it was like, it's possible. There was like hope in that. I totally misread what right, he was right, saying. Yeah, I, I've never yeah. heard anyone talk about anything like that, but I love it. So like, I'm still an individual. I'm still this unique entity, even though I've got all these other Alcohol is not me. Is not me. I'm yeah. a and it thing felt like it, yeah. it was me. Right. Well, you know, drinking. so that totally feeds into a thing that I love. And, and that is the, the secret that I have found of AA. I've heard too many people say, you have to change everything. And my experience is you don't have to change everything. I have to be willing to change everything. Yeah. And that means I don't pick and choose what changes. Yeah. But what my experience has been is a lot of stuff about me did not change. I'm still Sam. Yeah. Now, a lot of stuff did change and is changing and will change. And I, if, I, if I'm doing this right, I don't pick what it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... Not everything changes. I, uh, the Star Trek nerd. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I've been called out. <laughs> I love Listen, it. you can call me an alcoholic. <laughs> nerd, I, that's gone too far. Are you a check? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love the, the Star Trek movie uh, with uh, um, Spock's brother that takes away people's pain. Yeah. And he goes to take away Kirk's pain. And, and, and Kirk was like, no, I want my pain. I need my pain. It makes me who I am. Um, that's how I came in here. Yeah. Like, I needed all that shit right. in order to have my identity. And, and you to, need the pain to be willing to change. That's true, too. Yeah, right. But what I found was that when I was willing to let go of stuff, it didn't take away my identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, and like I was saying before, like I don't think I thought through a lot of those things in the early days. But I mean, you know, when you start looking at character defects and that kind of thing, like those character defects were who I was. You know, so now you know we've gone beyond just not drinking, and it's starting. You're talking about the, you know, you have to change everything. And yeah, if I take that away and I take this away, like yeah, who am I? What's my personality? I remember spending. I think I was. It was either right before I got sober or right after, and I had a friend at work and. And we would sort of do these thought experiments throughout the day just to kind of keep ourselves amused. And one of them was see if you can get throughout the, through the day without, um, without gossiping. Mm-hmm. And gossip we define simply as talking about somebody when they were not in the room in a negative or a positive way. Either mm-hmm. one, just, just try and do that. And I think that was really, you know, looking at that experiment and, and looking at, you know, you take something away. Well, what do I have to say all day if I, if I don't do this? Or what am, I, what am I going to be if I take away my sarcasm, you know, or my anger? Like, what's left of my personality? And I guess what I learned is the only way to find that out is to do it. 
to be willing to change everything and to say, well, you know, somebody once told me, it was an early sponsor of mine, he said, um, you know, when you ask to have one of these character defects removed, let's say anger, it's not that the anger is removed. You're given an opportunity to not practice that character defect. Um, and so by doing that and trying something else, I, I don't know if I developed a different personality per se, because I think you're right. At the core, I was still Doug, you know, but just because I'm not practicing that character defect, it doesn't lessen the core, you know, because I think at the core, what I learned was I was a moral, upstanding, pretty decent, well-meaning guy. I just didn't act that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I intended to be that way, and yeah. I wanted you to see me that way, but I didn't act that way. People so, don't judge you on your intentions; they, they judge, judge you on, on your actions. That was an early one that somebody gave me, and I was like, "Oh, I mean, that was an eye opener." Like, really? Seriously? <laughs> that's a that's Whoa. a tough one to swallow. Yeah. I mean, well, not maybe. It's a knock upside the head. It is. is yeah, it is. it is because yeah. I wanted you to see me as how I thought I was, not how I actually was. You know? And like, do you know how many times that I have like? Donated something and just I'm a good guy. Well, let me tell you. Now, never mind that I stole too. <laughs> yeah, but I but I think by by doing those things is where I actually started to, to develop a personality. You well, I, you do change in time uh, through sobriety. If you're if you're going to look at if I look at my behavior and correct my behavior and make these changes over periods of time aspects of my personality are going to change. Yeah. But, you know, it's like um, the first time someone told me that, you know, I worry about this AA thing that I'm going to get brainwashed, right. really. And it's like, well, maybe your brain needs washing. <laughs> yeah. And aspects of my brain did yeah. need washing. Yeah. Absolutely. But it was scary. But there's a Tom Waits line that I really liked. And, and being an artist, I was terrified that I wasn't going to be it was kind of like if you take away all my pain and my angst and everything, then what's going to, it's like what's going to be left. Yeah, and right. the Tom Waits line in one of his songs is, um, if I exercise my demons, all my angels might leave too. Mm -hmm. And that's the way I felt. I was really scared of that. Yeah. And, and I was afraid I was going to lose my creativity. And my sponsor, uh, Gary at the time said, you your creativity is you've given alcohol your creativity. Mm. You don't have to give it to alcohol, which I had. Yeah, I get that. Yes, I do too. I had to, I had to say, and actually, you know, I mean, I mean, I'm thinking about that, and you and I have talked about this a few times, Don, because I've got some creative endeavors of mm. my own, and and I think. Um, and I guess I was also thinking too on the same note about, you know, when I got sober and started to practice these new things and not do the character defects, I started to develop a personality. I think a lot of my, my so-called personality prior to coming in the rooms and using these tools was, it was an outward projection of who I wanted you to see me as. And I think a lot of my uh, creative endeavors were part of that. They were part of this facade. I, I look at it now and, you know, I look at this body of work in various creative aspects, creative avenues, and none of it was ever really very good. I mean, I've tried very hard in a lot of things and I've dabbled in a lot of different stuff, but I look back on it and it was never as good as I thought it was at the time. At the time, I was drunk and I was high while I was creating stuff. So not, not only was... 
that moment of creation, like, aha, I'm a genius. But then also, you know, myself, it, my, the, the overinflated ego, you know, that sense of self was so out of whack that no, it was very difficult to evolve as an artist because I'm looking at it and going, well, this is a masterpiece, you know. Well, I don't need to try any harder because I show up and I win. Um, so when I started to get sober, I think a lot of my... The, the time that I worked, I was usually drunk or I was usually high. So I was either you know doing music or painting or drawing or whatever. And I had this sort of hyper focus into it. And as I wasn't drinking anymore, I was concentrating on sobriety, especially the first few years, I was starting doing things outside, more external than I was inside. And so some of those skills softened, I think, as opposed to improving, the skills started softening. But I also started losing interest in a lot of them, I found, even though part of my brain said, well, you still need to do this. You have to do this all the time. And it was like a chore, you know, because I was I was trying to maintain that aspect of my personality about, well, you think I'm a guitar player, so I need to like play guitar, you know. I mean, I need to be obsessed. I need to be obsessed about it, but I didn't want to anymore. As I got sober, I was like, I don't want to do that. So, so in some aspects, and like I said, you and I have talked about this, like my creativity did change, you know, and it did uh, diminish. Maybe isn't the right word, but but there was certainly something that it was less attractive to me about putting in that time in that area. Um, and you know, I look at it now and I go, ah, I wish I had done this. You know, wish, 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 regret, regret, regret. But not so much. You know, there are moments when I go, oh, you know, I look at your work and I go, man, I wish I could do that. If only I had done, you know, the years of work that would lead up to it instead of just showing up and doing well, it. Well, right. that's. I mean, I think that's a key. I, I relate. I'm, I'm not a creative type. So yes, you are in your, own, in your own way. You two are just weird to me. <laughs> um, but, but I totally relate to the thing of I just show up and, and, I, and I nail it. Yeah, right. You know, and, yeah. and that's me on other stuff. Yeah. And that was so me in school in particular. And it was one of those things that I never learned to study mm -hmm. because I just got it. And now I don't just get it. And studying <laughs> is a really a chore because yeah. I never learned how to do it. But it's one of those things that I have to remain aware of that if I don't just get it instantly, that character defect of mine of perfectionism is totally in play there of, well, then fuck it. Then quit. I'm not going to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, Obviously, I, I'm not meant to do this. I have, I still have that. I mean, that still happens, you know. And and I'm fortunate enough where I do get to have uh, in my work life, I get to do creative things. So, I, but I still have that voice in my head that says, "Well, it's not perfect the first time." So, what, you know, am I fooling these people? Am I a fraud? Am I this or that? Because I'm just not showing up, and the first version is a masterpiece. And it's it's the the voice says, "Fuck it," mm -hmm. you know. Why bother? I'm just going to go back to you know waiting tables or something, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but that was something that I did for a long time that required no emotional investment, you know, and, and when you start doing things that you care about, uh, you want to succeed, but yeah, that, that character defect, uh, the same, that same voice in my head says, it's not perfect, why bother, don't, you're not going to win, don't show up. I also, I also like this idea that a lot of what I did before was based on what other people would think of me mm. and what I'm projecting of right. who I am, who is Don. And there is this character that is Don that I projected all the time. And it was really important to me in dropping the character and becoming what I was actually doing through working the steps is developing who Don actually right. is so that my insides match my outsides, which is an entirely different thing than what I was doing. Yeah. I mean, I really was false yes yeah i could be very false yeah. and i think that's that what comes back to sort of what i was saying before with that moment of 
you know, relief for me when I first got sober and realized that there was a, you know, a way out of what I was doing. Uh, I think part of that relief was I don't have to be false anymore. Now, it didn't just go away because I made that decision. I mean, there was years of work and there's still years of work. I mean, it still happens. Yeah. I'm sitting here right now bullshitting you. No. Yes. <laughs> I mean, on some degree, everybody does it. It's, I think right. it's, it's part of the, you know, it's part of being human. It's part of social interactions. But trying I think, to look good. Yeah, trying to look good. And, and again, you know, it kind of comes back to what they talk about with character defects. These are all God-given things that we've overused, you yes. know. And so we want to be social. We want people to like us. We need to be part of this tribe. But not at any cost. And that's how I was before it was. I'm going to do it at any cost. I don't care if I step on that person who was loyal and, and good to me, but I need to get to this next tribe. So screw them. I'm going to, I'm going to you know, turn up or down whatever dial I need to to kind of be accepted by this thing I want, whether it was work or romantic or, you know, whatever. Um, and, you know, you do that long enough and you don't have a personality, I don't think. You know, I mean, you hear people talk about being a chameleon. I was a chameleon. I mean, I certainly was a chameleon in a lot of ways. But I think the uh, you know the overriding personality traits were always there, which was selfishness, anger, you know, betrayal, <laughs> whatever else you want to say. I mean, those were always in play, uh, no matter what I what whatever the facade was that I was projecting to you to get what I wanted. You know. So when you first got sober, you you were in the treatment center. What was one of the obstacles? that you discovered something different in the way you approach the world from working the steps or something that you learned in AA? In the beginning, huh? That's mm -hmm. an interesting question. So when I, when I got sober, uh, I, I still had a job, like I said, and it was actually, um, you know, I was, I was supervising a number of people and um, I was sharing an office with a number of people and I had to do a lot of traveling and a lot of uh, sort of business dinnery kind of things. Uh, and none of that stopped just because I was getting sober. It was, it was an outpatient treatment, so I was not in lockdown. I was still working. I was still doing these things. And I had to learn how to function in that environment without drinking. And it was, it was terrifying to me because everybody knew me as a drinker. Uh, and that was, you know, that was part of who I was. But I think one of the eye-opening things was that unless you're dealing with another alcoholic, nobody gives a shit whether you drink or not. <laughs> Surprise! Bing. Surprise! Yeah. Nobody yeah. cared unless the topic came up, you know, through whatever. But for the most part, nobody said, hey, man, you're not drinking. Actually, this did happen on, on one of the very first business occasions. I was uh, in, in Annapolis, Maryland. And I was, I was standing at the bar waiting for uh, water. Uh, because I had to get up from the table because it was wine, 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 wine. I got up from the table to go to the bar because it was, you know, it was comfortable. Um, and I think I'd only been sober for less than 30 days at that point. Uh, and so I'm at the bar ordering a glass of water. And I'm standing there watching TV, getting my, extracting myself from the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, because you were uncomfortable. Because I was uncomfortable, yeah. Um, and one of, the, one of my drinking buddies, who well, he was an occasional drinking buddy, but he was at this thing too. And he came up and he saw me drinking water. He's like, dude, you're drinking water? And I was like, yeah, I said, I had to give it up. He's like, how come? And I said, well, you've seen how I drink. He was like, yeah, you've seen how I drink. And I just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I don't know if he's an alcoholic or not, but we used to drink together. And that was, that's another whole other thing. My misperception of those who drank around me, I thought they were just as bad as I was. But, but yeah, I think other than that occasion, for the most part, when I would be at these interactions, whether it was drinking or not drinking um, around me, like nobody cared, man. Nobody, you know. Nobody was like, oh, dude, you're not drinking. It's a, you know, 
have a glass of water, you have a sparkling thing with a piece of citrus fruit in it. <laughs> Nobody cares. And I think that was huge. And again, I think that comes back to what I thought other people thought of me, you know, and uh, just how confused I was at my interactions with the outside world. That was an eye opener. I mean, my, my, you know, they talk about right sizing. Uh, and I think that was one of those terms that I heard that I was like, oh, okay. Um, because I was so out of focus as to my place in the world, you know, I mean, it was not God centric, it was Doug centric. And I thought I really was the center of the universe and I realized I wasn't, uh, I'm not sure if that answers your question, no, but that, but that was a big, like, duh. Yeah. You know? No, I remember going to, I, a friend had a, a party and there was going to be a keg there. And I was going, I can't go to this. And I was talking with my sponsor and he said, you can go to it. Call me before mm -hmm. and have a way to leave in yeah. case you need to leave. Yeah. And then give me a call after the party yeah. and go. He, he said, I want you to go. And I went because it wasn't just, a, they had a keg. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't Only. a keg party. It wasn't a keg party. <laughs> it wasn't, it was as a... I used to say, alcohol-fueled. It wasn't alcohol-fueled. Yes. Those are the occasions that I had to learn to get away from, was the alcohol-fueled ones. Sometimes there was alcoholic things. Yeah. But it doesn't yeah. mean it's necessarily alcohol-fueled. Yeah. I was amazed yeah. there were people there. There were lots of people there who had one beer. <laughs> and there were people sitting who had no, nothing, nothing to yes. drink. Yeah. And in the backyard, I could look down there, and there were three guys hanging around the keg. <laughs> That that's where I would have been, right, totally, but yeah. that wasn't the whole party, and I thought it was, yes. and it was a revelation, and that's what my sponsor wanted me to see. Yeah, and that's my experience too. I I remember how shocked I was when I started going to social events sober and realizing how many people don't drink. Yeah, right. There's a lot of them. There is a lot. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I encountered two situations in my recovery that. Uh, someone would not take, take no for an answer. One was early on and it was at a block party with some friends and, and this really super drunk guy with moonshine was passing the mason jar around. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I just kind of passed it along and, and he was like, no, 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 no. And, and so uh, I, I, I realized I, this was going to be a problem if I didn't do something. And so I, I brought it up to my face and made it look like I took a drink yeah. and then, and that was fine. Yeah. That was fine. I hated doing right. that, but that yeah. was the situation right. I was in. Yeah. And then the other time I was in uh, in, in South Korea for a, uh, a business event, and they are all about some drinking in yeah. South Korea, and they were serving the whole event. You know, this was the wind down time after the, the, the work, and they were doing boilermakers for everyone, all around the tables and everything, and they wouldn't take no for an answer, and finally I just pushed the thing out of my way. Uh, sometimes you just have to to deal to deal with it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the the kicker is is that in all of these situations, both of those situations, I had done the things that I was supposed to do, right. like what you were talking about, Don, about being able to and will able and willing to leave yes. if I needed yeah. to, um, and you know checking in with uh, with my my recovery peeps and going to meetings. Yeah. Uh, when I traveled and things like that. Yeah, that was, and that was taught that too, because like I said, I did travel a lot in those days, and my sponsor gave me um, all of those tips that come right out of the Living Sober book, I think, for the Good most book. part. Yeah, excellent book. And in, in that trip that I was talking about earlier, so it was a, uh, a regatta, okay? So this was on the water, and this was the launch of the regatta from this leg of the worldwide ocean race. 
And so we had to go up there. And I was supposed to actually give a presentation as part of this. There was a conference, business conference, around this big regatta. And so I can't remember the exact order of events, but, but uh, I think one of the first things we did was get on the boat that had nothing but alcohol on it. And that was, but now I did have a coworker who I shared an office with who knew that I had just a few weeks before gone through what I went through and I was trying to get sober. So I said, I just need you to know I need some help. I might need some help. Um, and so we were out on this boat and it was nothing but, you know, everybody's drinking and blah, blah, blah. And I, I was white knuckling the rail pretty much for the whole time. I don't really remember anything about the event other than I couldn't wait for the boat to get back. But as soon as the boat got back, then we had to go to the dinner and the wine and the bed and the bed. I mean, so there was nothing but alcohol around this thing. Um, and I was up there and it was supposed to be, I think for three days. Well, that was the first day. The second day I gave my presentation as I was supposed to do. And I changed my uh, flight back and I left early. Oh. So I extracted myself from this thing where I was representing right. my department, where I was expected to be for work and knew that there was potential consequences of me leaving early from a work perspective. And I didn't care. My, my sobriety was too fragile and too important for me mm. to, to, to give in to that kind of pressure. It was, you know, hey, if I lose my job, I lose my job. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't have a ride off the boat. You know, they couldn't airlift me right. off there. There wasn't any cell phone reception, you know, but I was still cognizant of this. And this is what I remember telling one of, one of a, a guy who worked with me years later who was in a very similar situation in early sobriety. I said, you got to have that plan. You can't just show up and think it's going to be okay. You You're know? right. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have a plan because if you think it's just going to be okay, there's going to come that moment where they put that boilermaker or that thing in front of you yeah. and you finally just go, oh, what the hell? It's only one or whatever. So, you know, that, you know, nothing happened. There were no consequences. I didn't get fired. Nobody reprimanded me. So it all worked out okay. But I had to be willing to sort of go, you know what? What's more important? What's, well, My life for this job. Well, and then the other thing there, too, is is let's, let's go to the other side. You had, if you did drink on that ship. How would that have gone? Man overboard. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it would have gone badly. Yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of what I'm figuring yeah. with with what you're talking. It's like a, the chances are the job was in jeopardy if you drank too. Right, right. exactly. And you know that that, right. that was that was a revelation early on too, where I finally said, you know what, these people have seen me drink and show my ass on a number of occasions. Why am I afraid that they're going to look at me not drinking and judge me for that? <laughs> oh, you oh, gotta that, put, put sobriety first, and that so plays into the fear that so many of us walk into. I did walk into these rooms with somebody could have seen me. Yes, yeah. yeah, yes. See, people have seen me passed out in the gutter, but yes. they might see me walking into an AA meeting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would go to a church of, that would have uh, an AA meeting. You know, it's on the schedule. I've never been there, and it's like. I don't want to ask anybody where the meeting is because then they'll know that I'm an alcoholic and that's why I'm here. It was very, very disturbing. Yeah. I mean, sneak around, try and find out where it is. And then you learn the secret of looking for people standing outside the door smoking. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of times with cups. And now, now it's vaping. But yeah, yeah, exactly. So I just, you just remind me of something. So early on, I was maybe, again, a month, two months I was in a meeting. It was a big meeting, Saturday night, and um, I, I remained pretty anonymous for the first couple of months. I really kept a low profile. I was pretty scared and just couldn't look at people in the eye, couldn't talk to people. I was, I was that guy. But So I'm sitting in the meeting, waiting for the meeting to start, and I see from across the room uh, my next-door neighbor's son, and he's probably 50-something at the time, and my next-door neighbors were in their 70s, but I knew him because I lived in that house for, for probably 
almost 10 years at that point. And I ducked. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> and, and so for some reason in my mind, I thought, well, he's new. But I can't let him see me here. And I don't know what the, the, the competing things were, but he's new. I can't let him see me here. Well, it turns out he had about 20 years sober at that point. <laughs> and he's now my sponsor, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's he's, awesome. He's now my sponsor. Um, but yeah, at the time, I, I ducked him. I was so scared. I was like, oh, jeez, he's going to yeah. see me. So I know. Yeah, it was terrifying. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, it was pretty funny. But now he's my sponsor. So uh, working the steps, as you began working the steps, what is an experience that happened one time that was really pivotal and Maybe like amends, was there an amends? We haven't talked about amends a lot here. So was there an amends that was particularly interesting? Yeah, what, what you got outstanding there, buddy? Oh, I, got, oh, I have outstanding. There's, I think there's always going to be outstanding. The, the list sometimes shrinks and then sometimes it grows. You know, you remember things even after a few 24 hours. Um, the amends process, uh, I was, you know, as the overachiever, as the guy who never had a study, uh, I, you know, I jumped ahead. Uh, early on, and I, I tried to make amends before I was supposed to. Before oh, I was this is like uh, what I've heard. We made a list of all people we have harmed and asked God to remove them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was. I was certainly making up my own rules um, and and thinking of my own outcomes. It was certainly, um, you know, they say the steps are in order for a reason. You know, but I didn't care. I needed, to, I needed to do this. So it was with my, uh, we weren't divorced yet. It was with my ex-wife, my soon-to-be ex-wife. You know, I just, I can't remember what I said, but we went out to dinner and I, you know, oh, I did this. She knew about my getting arrested and my whole crash and burn. Um, Wait a minute. Are you making amends to her without talking to a sponsor yes, or anything? Yes, uh, 100%. Or having even done steps two, three, four, five, six, I, I may seven, have been on maybe. three, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I might have been on three. But I figured, seize the opportunity. I'll, you know, I'll be lauded as a hero. Uh, but yes, I, how they can really do it. <laughs> That's right. And I really have no recollection of what I said, but I just do remember her looking, sitting across from me with sort of this blank stare on her face, like, mm-hmm. And, you know, I probably apologized, and I heard later on that amends is not an apology. Yeah. You know, if you burn down somebody's barn, you're not just apologizing for it. <laughs> uh, so so that was interesting. And then, you know, I finally worked the, through the rest of the steps, and, you know, I told my sponsor about it, and I think that's where I learned that, you know, it may have been the first time it sunk in that the steps are in order for a reason. Um, and I, I learned that uh, making amends wasn't just about making myself feel better. It was really about repairing relationships and righting wrongs and that kind of stuff. But, and I went back to her as I was in the, in the appropriate order. I went back to her to, to do it correctly. Mm-hmm. And she may have been like the second or third on my now list that I've gone over with my sponsor. Uh, and her reaction was quite different at that point. It was... Mm-hmm. Wow, you were an emotional abuser. You were kind of a son of a... It was no longer this just sort of... But she had some time to kind of think about this now. And so she had some things to say to me. Um, And I didn't expect it because we had had this previous sort of non-committal response from her. And now she's got some some thoughts, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And again, I don't really remember if I said anything or if I just kind of took it. I don't think I argued with her. Uh, I think I was a little surprised because previous to that, she was kind of in the camp of, oh, well, you weren't really that bad. Like she had said that to me at one point after I got sober, like, oh, you weren't that bad. Like she had no idea how bad I was. I hid a lot of stuff from her. 
But then she, you know, she kind of came at me with this. And I realized walking away from that, that it was that the amends process was not really about what I thought it was about. Um, it was not just about cleaning up my side of the street and rebuilding barns and repairing relationships. It was about moving forward as this sort of new member of society, you know, and not repeating those things that I had yeah. done. You know, some people talk about humiliation and humility and all this kind of stuff. There was a certain level of humiliation, I think, when somebody goes, well, you were an emotional abuser and they're calling you out on your, your BS, you know. So I think there was some humiliation there, but that wasn't the overriding feeling. It was like, oh, I get it now. I don't want to be that guy anymore. Now I get to see me through your eyes, you know, because before I didn't care what you thought of me. I was, I was, well, I, I, that's not really the right way to say it. I wanted you to think of me a certain way, but whether you did or not, that never registered, I think, you know, I had my own self image. And so nothing was really going to break that down. <laughs> ego has been deflated at this point. When you get to step eight, the steps are in order for a reason. You need that ego deflation. And now I'm hearing what she's saying. And now I'm hearing what I'm saying to her. And I walked away from that going, Oh, I get it. Yeah. This is about me like becoming human, like being a, being this decent, moral, upstanding guy. It's not just about me going, Oh, how much do I owe you? Yeah, you right. know, it's not about, wow. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, and even the apology, and my sponsor used to say, amends are not an apology. He would say it three times, amends is not an apology. Amends is not an apology. So what's the first thing I do is I apologize to you. Um, but it's not that it's not an apology. It's not just an apology. Is an apology yeah, in there. Right? Yeah, there, and there can be a, man, I'm really sorry, but it's not just me walking up to you and going, Sam, I'm sorry that I stole that money from you. You know, it's, yeah. it, there's more to it than that. And it, there is the making things right and cleaning up your side of the street, but it's also the, the spiritual sort of release that you get from it and that spiritual path forward, I think, is huge. And instances. stop stealing money from people. And stop stealing money from people, Doug. <laughs> I, I haven't stolen money from people. In a but approaching the, world different, approaching the world differently as a different person. When I made amends to my mother, I had, she was always a good touch, and I would always... $150. Without saying. <laughs> he goes without saying. $150 anytime. Mom, I need $150. It's, well, I'll be glad to help you. Yeah. Never paid it back. Right. Never had an intention of paying sure. it back. Yeah. Right. And that, so I had a lot of $150 <laughs> to pay back to her. Yeah. And I talked with my sponsor. We went over the whole thing. I got a check for $150. I had um, a good check for $150. <laughs> <laughs> And met her at a restaurant to have a talk to yeah. make amends. I told her we I wanted to treat her to dinner. And I took her to dinner, and I told her you know that I was in AA and that I was doing amends, and that I had this and I had this. I'd always borrowed money from you, and you know I never intended to pay it back. And before I did this, though, we talked for about 45 minutes about alcoholism, about me, about what I was doing, about how I was, what my life was like. We shared personally. Mm -hmm. So I told her that about the check, and I said, and I have this check, we give it to her, and she said, I don't want that money. What this is what I want mm -hmm. is yeah, to be right. able to talk yeah. to you yeah. like this. And it was, it was incredible. Yeah. It was like, that's what was missing the whole time. I didn't even know that that's what was missing. I thought it, I also thought it was about the money. Yeah, and it wasn't. It was about communication. It's yeah. about relationships. Yeah, yeah. It's about being a decent human. 
about being a good son. Yeah, yeah. I had um, I had similar with Granny, uh, who was was incredibly special to me, and you know it was one of those things that if I wanted some money, I could get it from Granny, and I knew that for a long time, and I didn't, I, you know, I never like raped her over the coals getting cash out of her or anything like that. But it was one of those things of $20 here, $40 there, um, that kind of thing. And when I got sober, I, I, I became aware of that, particularly in, in the last 10 years of her life, I got to be a good grandson because I had gotten to that place where I was aware of it and I was not acting on that behavior. Mm -hmm. I was not doing that anymore. And I was. You were intentionally visiting her on a regular basis. Yeah, I remember this. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we had our we had our date every week, mm -hmm. and we were going out to eat, going grocery shopping, and and you know this, that, and the other. And it was one of those things that you know. And, and this was an, another key lesson that I heard from a speaker at a uh, a conference, a, a recovery conference. Of don't take the gift of the giving away from the giver. So Granny, one of the ways that she showed love was to give money. Mm -hmm. So I did not refuse her money every time. Yeah. But I refused it a whole lot <laughs> compared to what I used to do. And so every now and then she when she was like, and you didn't pay expect you for these, it. Right. Yeah, did right. Not you weren't it. there for that reason. Exactly. <laughs> if I go out to lunch with Granny, I'm gonna get a check. Exactly. Yeah. Or you know, and or she's gonna buy lunch or all that kind of stuff. And it was so it was that thing of of, I still let Granny dote on me. I just didn't let her do it all the time. <laughs> um, and I didn't expect it. And I also, Doug, I totally did that uh, that amends thing. Um, I remember the poor, oh, poor EAP counselor <laughs> that I was forced to go see. What's my EAP? Employee, employee Assistance Program. Uh, this was after I had convinced my employer to let me see my own psychiatrist. And then I would go drink after meeting with the psychiatrist. And then they were like, now you need to go see our EAP guy because it ain't working. And I was such an asshole to him. And then I saw him working, poor guy, working at a, uh, an office supply store as well. And it's like, okay, dude's not making a shit ton of money being an EAP counselor. And he's putting up with shit from people like, <laughs> people me. like me. And I saw him in that store and I was early in recovery. And I'm like, oh, hey. I'm not there yet, but I just want <laughs> to put a pin in this. I'm going to get to you. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, one of the things that I have, have told um, um, particularly uh, sponsees, but pe new people new in recovery is that, you know, yes, hold off on making those amends and such, but it's really okay to start doing step 10 shit right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So even if you haven't worked the remaining the, 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 the steps, period, um, if you catch yourself in the midst of being an asshole or telling a lie or whatever, and you catch yourself, clean it up right, right then. Well, that's great. Doug, thanks for being here. Don't, Don't go right. anywhere. Okay. What I want us all three to do is take a moment and breathe. Feel your inner being, whatever it is, and let's bring it forth with me. I'm feeling an inner owl. I totally knew we were manifesting an owl. I thought I was going to lose an eye from the town. It's time for our old timers question. 
Who are you calling an old timer? I'm calling you an old timer, you old for I, uh, uh, that's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. No matter how long you've been sober, it's still one day after time. Sonny. Is he all right? Is he going to be okay? <laughs> God, we've got some medical help here. Uh, no matter. It's a really old, old timer. Yeah, <laughs> That's a decrepit timer. <laughs> if you want to ask a question, go to boiledalaa.org. We have a question here, and this question is from, this is from Steve in New Bern, North Carolina. All right. And Steve asks, why is there such a focus on God? So there's that story when I first walked into AA and the very first meeting I went to, they read the long form of uh, how it works and it came to that one is God, may you find him now, which to me felt entirely like they were saying that one is God, 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 may you find him now, 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 now. <laughs> and I was like terrified. I mean, I just didn't want anything to do with it. I thought it was... Uh, like the PTO Club, uh, which was the Praise <laughs> Lord Club, Jim Baker and Tammy Faye. Heal! Yeah. Put your hands on the television screen and you will be healed! And put your wallet in an envelope and mail it, it to me! Me, me, me! <laughs> and I was like, going, I just, I, I need to quit drinking, but I don't need this. And I completely misunderstood what it was all about. Although the reason that God's there all the time in everything is because this isn't a self-help program. It's There's a power greater than myself that I look to, that I depend on to help me stay sober. And I can't do it myself. It's not about me making myself be sober. It's not about me fixing my thinking. It's not about me learning behaviors that will make everything okay. What happened to me was I had to ultimately give up one day. I guess I've been sober about two weeks and I was going to blow up. I quit drinking and came to AA. So it's the first time I'd gone two weeks without anything to drink. It was a Sunday afternoon, and I felt like that I was going to jump out of my skin. Uh, there wasn't a meeting till 8 o'clock that night, and I couldn't stand it. And it was either I'm going to get drunk or something's got to give. And they kept talking about praying in the meetings. To what? To the nothing? That I mean, I didn't believe in anything. But I had to do something. And it seemed like that they believed what they were talking about. Everybody seems sincere, so I asked the nothing to keep me sober, <laughs> and it worked. Actually, what my prayer was was, okay, God, get me out of this. And my very next thought was, Don, you can't get out of this. You've always tried to get out of it. You, what you need to do is go through this. Well, that's, that's what I thought. And it wasn't like some other voice in my head. It wasn't the voice of God, God, God going, Don, <laughs> this, uh, Don, this is God. 
It was my voice in my head, but it wasn't my thinking because I had never once before that time said, let's have pain and go through it. And then you can make it through to the other side. So I did. I continued to pray to the nothing to keep me sober. And I continued to stay sober. What I ultimately had to do was just, what I ultimately did was just go, okay, this word God is this thing that AA talks about, that if I ask for help, it will help me. I don't know what it is. It's nothing like what I thought it was. I can't define it. It's not the God of my understanding because I don't understand it. But I'm going to do it because it's keeping me sober. And because I was convinced that all the people in AA who said they were doing it were staying sober. And it was clear that they were staying sober. So I just gave up. So I really like the idea of allowing. I'm going to allow that that thing that keeps everybody sober in AA is God. I, I'm just replacing the word God for that thing that actually happened to me. It's an experience that I had. The reason that God is talked about in all the, in everywhere in AA, it's in all the steps, is because I, the only way I'm going to stay sober is I've got to find some power that's greater than myself. I ran on self-will. Self-will will not fix me. I can't will myself sober. I have to find the power greater than myself to do it. It doesn't matter what that is. And I think the, the hang-up for me and the hang-up for a lot of people coming to AA is that it's the word God. And God, the word God does not apply to what it used to apply to, to me. Now, the word God, it's not the God that I grew up with. It's not the God that I see on TV today. It's not the God that other people I know who have wonderful lives and their experience of God is something different. My idea of God is not the same as yours, Sam. It's not the same as yours, Doug. But that's okay. It is the thing that keeps me sober. And I've got to be willing to allow that I'm going to depend on that to stay sober. I've got to give up for that. That's my thoughts on it. Let's see. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Don kind of said it. The, I think the reason that there's so much talk of God is because that was the word that these Christian dudes had to describe this phenomenon. I mean, it's what it's what their belief system, whether how strongly they believe in it or not at the moment, is sort of beside the point. But their culture sort of gave them that word and that concept that they had recognized as there is something, you need something greater than you uh, to get through this alcoholism, to get some other sort of, uh, you know, this, this out of your own hand, you can't cure yourself, you need something else. And, you know, they use the term, you know, I, I was just thinking as you were talking, I, I, I remember somebody saying once in a meeting, and I don't know if they were telling a story or if this was actually happening where somebody said, Oh, we got to be careful about how much we talk about God in this meeting because it's going to chase away the newcomer. And somebody said, well, if God chases him out, the alcohol is just going to chase him right back in. 
So I think, you know, if you're worried about the word God, and I had some worries in the beginning about the terminology and and the sort of Christian basis of a lot of this stuff because of my own preconceived notions more than anything else. If you're worried about it, you're going to find things to continue to worry about within the language of the program. If that's what you want to focus on, God, 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 that's not what I believe, then you're going to keep focusing on that and you're going to miss all the rest of it. You're going to miss the spiritual experience. If you say, well, screw it, it's just a word, but I get what they're talking about, I need something bigger than me to help me because the problem can't solve the problem, then you're going to be okay. I had to find my own way to do that. I think everybody finds their own way to do that because, like you said, my God is not your God. I use the word. I don't mean what you mean, you know, and and I don't mean maybe what I meant a week ago, to be perfectly honest with you, (laughs) but it's just, it's a shorthand and like I said, you know, these guys did the best that they could in 1930, was it 39? I can't remember when they wrote this. It was thing. published in 39. It was published yeah. in 39. They did the best they could to describe what had happened for them. And that's what they say. This is what happened for us. And if you do this, you could probably get this too. Yeah, I think you can get hung up on it if you want to. And I'm not sure if that's where that question is coming from, is, you know, why all the God stuff, you know? But that's kind of how it sounded to me. Like, it's, you know, it's it, sort of coming it, it from, the, yeah, it's coming from that place of, you know, why do we need to keep talking about this? Because it offends my my atheism or my agnosticism or my Buddhism or whatever, you know? And I, I mean, personally, I decided to stop being offended by it. I sometimes notice it more than others when I'm in a meeting. Uh, but I think that's, again, more about my state of mind than it is any particular meeting or, or the program. You know, mm-hmm. it's just about, well, today I feel like being a jerk towards God. You know? <laughs> so I'm going to curse his name. Darn you, God. Um, you know, it's, it, but if I let that chase me out, I'd be dead right now. Yeah, so I, I had to be okay with it. Yeah. I went through a program before I got sober that repurposed words. They, they took regular English words, and they said, all right, this is the new meaning of this word. And my partner at the time, and I went through the program as well, and it was really fantastic that we got this new vocabulary that allowed us to communicate based on this understanding of that's what this word means to Uh us. And so when I came in here and heard you, Don, telling your story, within the first two, three months of me coming into these rooms... I heard you talking about that, what, what you shared a few minutes ago, and that clicked for me again, that I can say God, and I know what I mean, and it really doesn't matter what you think I mean. You don't need to know. I don't need to know what you think it means, and it can mean whatever you want it to mean. And being able to do that, that shorthand that you called it, Doug, enabled me to have conversations with my grandmother about God with a, a co-worker uh, many years ago that, oh my God, I would have run out of the, the room in those situations. I totally would not have had those conversations, but I was able to do that. And so, you know, the focus on God, it is a spiritual program, and thank God it's not religious, because if it were religion, which to me is very much other people telling me what I have to believe. Right. That's um, what's that's what's offensive. Yeah. That would right. never have worked for me. An alcoholic's not going to go along no. with that. Not at all. But y'all let me come in here, and you said a power greater than yourself can fix this, and these steps will help you find it. I believed you enough to give it a try, and it worked. 
And the thing that's going on for me is I identify as an atheist, but there is a power greater than me. There's all kinds of power out there greater than me. And I have found that trying to align my will and my life, my thinking and my actions with that works. And it's so much easier just to call it God. It is easier. <laughs> my brother never got sober. He said they, he couldn't go to AA because they w won't allow him to believe in Jesus in those meetings. And my problem with AA was they were talking about Jesus <laughs> in those meetings. And we were both wrong. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, and Doug, you mentioned, you know, that, that sometimes you go into a meeting and, and you're like, oh, I'm really sensitive to God today. And gosh darn you, God. Um, I have found it, and it's really kind of cool that, that, that with the, the bad taste that I had about religion when I came into these rooms and the ability to adopt the word God and use it for how I use it, I don't have a problem saying God at all. Right. And I don't have a problem hearing people talk about spirituality and saying the word God. I get a little cringy when they start talking about their religion right, right. in the meeting. Yeah. And that's where I'll get a little put off. Yeah. And, and then I have to remember, uh, sometimes I do it more successfully than others, that that's working for them. You know, and, and I'm glad that they're here believing in their religion because if they weren't, maybe they'd be out there you know, running into me in a drunken stupor in their car, you know? And so I'm glad that they're here. I'm glad that's working for them. Uh, and I, but I, that took me a little while to get to as well. I still, yeah, the, the hair. What you're talking about is giving up the fight. Give it, yeah. yeah. You let other people believe what they're going to believe. Right. Yeah, I don't, I, unless you want to sit and have a, a specific conversation about that, I'm not going to really engage in that, especially in a, in a meeting, you know. And there are some people who, you know, and when you were saying about the difference between you and your brother, you may have gone to two totally different meetings and actually heard people talking yes. about Jesus or not Jesus, you know, right. and, and they, because I've seen that before, you know. Um, so that happens, but I think, like I said before, you know, that may run you out, but. You know, hopefully the drink is going to run you back in. Yeah, I think you're right. It, just stopping the fight was a big hurdle to get over because I do like to fight. And I used to like to fight a lot about religion. Yep. Well, yeah. And one of the things that I got to is, is that I need to I need to be the example mm -hmm. of what it is that, that works for me. So I need to, to speak of my experience, mm -hmm. strength in it. And I remember when I was living in, in tiny-ass little Graham, uh, is that the full name of the that's tiny yeah. ass incorporated? Yeah. incorporated. Um, I remember I've seen yeah. that on the billboard. <laughs> yeah, they had shortened because they were just <laughs> the signs were too hard to read. <laughs> and I was complaining to my service sponsor about you know I'm, I'm trying to find a new home group in Durham where I was working at the time, living in Graham, and none of the times were days were working out to do it in Durham. And he's like, "Well, why aren't you looking where you live?" And I'm like, "Because their meetings are too Jesusy." And he looked at me and he was like, have you thought, Sam, that maybe, just maybe, there are some people in those meetings who could stand to hear you share and it not be Jesus-y? So I wound up getting a home group in Graham. I needed that perspective. And help people. It can help, help others. Doug, Don't. thanks for helping us boil this owl. Well, it was my pleasure. Yeah. To be here on the old B.O. 
<laughs> just watch out because that boil has been that boil that owl <laughs> that boil of the butt of humanity that owl has been known to pop out of that pot and attack Lance the owl <laughs> thanks for joining us the boiled owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month Visit our website at boiledowlaa.org or email us at giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. <laughs> if you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous in your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. I was hoping you'd get you'd make the men's meeting one yeah. of your yeah. regulars. It's going to be a semi-regular, I would think, especially as the weather starts getting hotter, and I'll start running earlier and maybe be done by nine thirty on Saturday. Yeah, um, but the runs get longer yeah. as you know. But you got to get there early. But if you're running, just run over just there. Just run to it, right? Just, and just show. I did that yes. once. And whoever like has to sit beside yeah. you, sweat yeah. Sit in the back. <laughs> I did that one Sunday. So the Sunday morning cone uh, meeting used to be my home group when I first got sober, and and I ran to that once because I used to live over, you know, like Daniel. So I just hit the greenway. I was like, oh, I'll just run. And yeah, I just sat there for the entire thing, just sweating and like sticking to things and thinking. Is he a newcomer? Is he a newcomer? Why is he sweating so much? Relapse? People do that on Monday night come from yoga. Yeah. And they're wet. They're wet. They're moist. And if the air conditioning's on, it's a little much. For them or for you? I mean, for them because they're wet. It doesn't bother me. I don't care. Yeah, she, she's totally wrapped up in like. I mean, it might be stuff from right, the yeah. car. It might be like different <laughs> from you, but you know, yeah. these, these southern girls—they don't these, sweat; they glisten. I am, I am quite different from a southern yeah, girl. You're different Actually, than that. I am I'm I'm diametrically opposite. <laughs> <laughs> in a lot of ways, I'm sure there's some overlap.